0: Hello and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The just introduced X1 credit card harnessed the power of technology to offer higher credit limits, an aggressive reward program, and unique automated features driven by a mobile app. Created by Twitter alums Deepak Rao and Sid Batra and supported by PayPal co-founders Matt Levkin and Instagram's former head of product, Kevin Wheel, the X1 card targets younger consumers who want a tech savvy, elegantly designed stainless steel card. At introduction, there was a 350,000 person waitlist for the card. I'm excited to have Sid Batra, co-founder of the X1 card on the Banking Transform podcast. He discusses the strategy behind introducing a brand-new credit card to an underserved segment and the potential for growth beyond payments. The X1 card is a differentiated option for a new generation of young cardholders and entrepreneurs. Its smart technology, modern look, strong rewards program, and a promise of a higher credit limit it makes the card appealing, as does the no-fee structure and mobile integration. So Sid, can you share a little bit about your background and the path that you and your partner have taken since 2017 to get where we are today?
1: Absolutely. So Jim, my personal background is in building consumer tech products, Uh, but my start was kind of funny. I started off as a machine learning researcher uh, at Stanford's AI lab, where as you can imagine, like a lot of smart people, but the, the time horizon to have Uh, any kind of consumer impact is like a decade if you're lucky so i took some of the research i was working on and spent the next few years building two consumer tech companies one was in digital advertising the second one was in e-commerce the second one did okay where um, the team at twitter liked our product liked our team so we ended up at twitter where i spent four and a half years I was a director there and really enjoyed being part of like a phenomenal team and contributing to an iconic consumer product. But then a few years ago, my co-founder Deepak and a couple of our amazing founding engineers, Adu and Tony, we took all of our you know, combined consumer tech wisdom uh, and applied it to the FinTech space, where we at X1 are now kind of reimagining the, the credit card for a particular audience that we, we refer to as digital natives. That's kind of my, my personal background.
0: Yeah, and, and both you and your partner came from Twitter. How did that help in the development and understanding of the consumer marketplace and how they are interacting more and more on their mobile devices and how that could change the overall experience for a, from a credit
1: card perspective? So I think having built a lot of consumer products, um, we had a very different audience and market thesis when we got into fintech. What we saw was this ever increasing size of an audience called digital natives what's very interesting is this particular audience is not quite known by like a particular age group or an income bracket they're known more for their very high expectations from their consumer products now they use predominantly products that are post-internet post-mobile things like an amazon um, or an uber and these products are shaping their expectations for their consumer tech products And I mean, you're a great example of this, uh, Jim, right? Like both, like you and I, uh, we missed the cutoff for being millennials by a few years, but I imagine you're, you know, you use Amazon or you take an Uber or maybe you drive a Tesla. And what's interesting is like you, just like all the other kind of members of this digital native audience, they're very intelligent. So when they see like Amazon is trying to get them to buy products with a single click um, and Tesla doesn't even want them touching the handle of the door to get into the car, but then when they get a credit card from a large bank, you know, it's a piece of plastic that is shipped in an envelope that takes seven days to get to them. And then when they get it, they have to call a phone number to activate and start using the card. Like they know that they know that this doesn't meet their expectations. That is not quite the same category of product. So having all that consumer tech background gave us a very different lens and showed us like a very different North Star of what fintech products could be. And we're applying all of that into reimagining the credit card uh, with X1. So press
0: releases from your firm, from the very beginning, dubbed the X1 card as the smartest credit card ever made. And that's a pretty lofty statement, but it got me in line and, and got me one of these credit cards of yours. From your perspective, what makes X1 card so special in the marketplace?
1: I'll answer it from like the customer perspective. So if you go back to some of these unmet expectations from a customer lens, you start to see kind of the the pattern emerge. I mean, let's just start with speed that we were talking about, where it it does take like seven days to get the card and, and start using it. In our case, customers are going from getting an invite to making the first transaction. And about half our customers are actually already spending on the card before the physical card gets to them. Um, so that's like the, a speed expectation that we're. The interesting expectation is around underwriting and how there're like millions and millions of Americans for whom the credit score and being underwritten on a credit score isn't quite working well. Uh, I can give you maybe a, uh, give you my personal anecdote here. So you can probably tell from my accent, I, I didn't grow up uh, in the US. So when I got here, one of the kind of big moments in my finance journey was getting my first credit card, which was at Bank of America. I was genuinely excited as a a young person getting that card. I got the one with the flag on it, the whole deal. So even though my credit limit was $500, which is fine as a student, over the years, as my income grew, it was interesting that my limit didn't quite grow with it. And at some point, it was funny because Bank of America could see my paycheck in the same bank account. And my credit limit never went over $1,000. So when we were kind of reimagining this sort of portion of underwriting, it was very important for us to underwrite on someone's complete financial picture. So what we're doing to meet customer expectations is we try and look at as complete a financial picture as possible. To do that, we connect to your bank account and just model your payroll and your cash flow. which, I mean, it's hard to describe, makes such a big difference to people's lives, right? You lower utilization, which means you can get much lower interest rates on a, on a car loan or a home loan in the future. So that's another expectation, which is like underwriting. I can keep going, but you get the idea. There's so many unmet expectations with traditional credit cards that there's actually a ton of low-hanging fruit for us to uh, do better on.
0: So, Sid, can you discuss a little bit about what you mentioned around the decision to add supplemental tra- to supplemental data on top of credit bureaus what role did AI and machine learning play in the decision process? And I think you mentioned that the impact on credit limits is two things. Number one, for people that may not have gotten a card, you're enabling them to get a card, and for those who do get a card, they have an increased credit limit. I can I can tell you, um, you did not disappoint on my side. Maybe maybe you, you over delivered, but in my case, you know, it was significantly more than I expected. But you know, the the amount you Asked up
1: front was on that all that much, but how do you use alternative data? No, Great question. Maybe an anecdote to kind of frame the problem. What we've seen is particularly for younger folks, what happens is the moment they get their first credit card makes an enormous difference to their credit journey. And what we see is particularly if someone's parents are financially savvy and they add them to their credit card early on the difference in like the limits you will get, the APRs you will get is enormous and uh, income almost doesn't play a factor. And the reason for that is when you apply for a traditional credit card, the banks do ask you for your income. But the funny part is like they mostly have no way of actually verifying if what you're saying there is correct or not. So they do have some amazing models, but the models are designed just to mitigate risk. And so what happens is you have millions and millions of people who are you know, they could be, they're normal Americans, don't necessarily have to be immigrants, whose limits are just really, really poor. We connect to your bank account, and then we pull in and we can see your actual payroll, your cash flow, And this gives us so much more confidence to be able to give someone the appropriate limit that is worthy of their credit and their income. It's just the completeness of data helps a ton. And, you know, going forward, we're also pulling in, we get a lot more information as well, right? Like how much money is in your, checking account, how much investment products you have. Like if you imagine kind of the the roadmap of being able to underwrite on someone's entire financial picture and history, you can do a far better job than just uh, the credit score. And so coming to the role of machine learning, uh, one of the fun things you learn by being a practitioner of machine learning for several years in some very dark labs is that when you should not use machine learning, um, so this problem is definitely machine learning based. We are using a ton of statistical and data analysis techniques, but it's also very important to not just go kind of for a model and just trust the model. You have to kind of build it over time as you scale.
0: So, you know, your use of alternative data, what, is it more used for X1Card to serve the unserved or underserved segments or to offer higher credit limits?
1: They use as so a I I you know let me reframe the word alternative data here. It's kind of interesting where the credit score hasn't been around for that long, and if you go back in time, the way underwriting used to work before the credit score era was bankers would essentially look at all of your transaction history and kind of the um, just your cash flow. And so it's for us, it's a very primary kind of data source, right? Um, and it's not just for an underserved audience. The the word underserved is like often used as a shorthand for people who don't have access to like traditional finance products. But the problem is kind of bigger than that. It's not just to cap the downside for that audience. For most Americans, the underwriting kind of doesn't make sense. Basically, if you don't already have a large credit limit, it's very hard to get a large credit limit. So a lot of people get chronically poorly underwritten and they're kind of trapped in in that cycle. So using kind of for what seemed to us very obvious data signals like your bank account, your transactions, your savings, that allows us to kind of break that cycle um, and, and have a more complete kind of underwriting model.
0: I was one of the early people on your wait list and, and it was interesting because I'm not in your normal demographic group, but I'm highly digital and I'm a, I'm a fairly heavy credit user. So um, it, it, it kind of met your criteria, but not from an age segment basis. What I was amazed by was the simplicity of the application. Anybody who listens to the podcast or in my webinars or or um, any of the events I do, what's interesting is I always bring up the Apple credit card as being the, the, the bar that I set and say, you know, it takes me four screens. I can get it. I got it instantly. It was very intuitive, very simple. Well, yours replicated that. Now, even to the point where the simplicity and intuitiveness of what you asked made a lot of sense, and you, I didn't have to question why you would ask it. And then, as you said, the delivery of the card in its in nice black box was, was really, it met expectations. So how important was the development of an ultra-simple application process?
1: Do I want to say you are representative of our digital native audience like 100%. Because what we see is, like I said, there is no age kind of restriction or like an income bracket for this particular audience. I think you're you're on the cutting edge, and so you're 100% representative. So you kind of squarely fit the criteria. Um, now, coming to the experience, coming from a tech lens for us, an amazing experience is simply table stakes. You just need to have it, and the way we do it philosophically is we're not just optimizing the stop layer of experience; we're reinventing the stack all the way down for the credit card. And this is actually letting us do some really clever things for the customer on the experience side. So for us, this, this experience is basically table stakes and just the starting point. Apple Card is actually really fascinating. I, I feel like they've done a great job, but it's a bit of a missed opportunity because of this fact that they did not go deeper into the credit card kind of layer. Apple is doing the experience and they're outsourcing the actual credit part of the credit card to yep. Goldman Sachs. Right now, it's like an amazing store card for Apple products. It isn't like the best credit card by itself.
0: So, so so, we look at this card, and it's a digital card in every way, shape, and form. You put in my Apple wallet. I'm using it more on my mobile device than I am as a plastic card or a metal card in this case. So why do you make the decision to go with a stainless steel card beyond the the, the beauty of it all um, and And why a physical card at all, when really your card is so integrated with the
1: mobile app? So I'll give you, uh, Jim, I'll give you the practical and the philosophical answer for the the question. Practically, there's still a ton of merchants that don't accept contactless payments or don't accept Apple Pay and, and Google Pay. So if we want to create a true credit card that can cover all of your spending, we kind of have to have a physical card Um, For us, philosophically, the physical incarnation of the card had to represent two values. The first is that when you interact with the card, it should make you feel that this is from the future. Almost like when you sit in a Tesla or see it, like it should have that feeling. And you're right that we didn't have to make it as heavy. But the second value we would love to represent is our, our digital native audience is very broad. Like our customers include new grads from college, all the way up to like billionaires, so that's why the physical card, and that's why it's you know as heavy as beautiful as it is.
0: So one of the interesting things you have is you have the fact that you have no fees on the X1 card, um, no no annual fees, no application fees, not even a tra- foreign transaction fee.
1: Do you see your users being heavy overseas travelers? We're already seeing that from our kind of data of cardholders. I think travel has come back a lot post COVID and we see a lot of international travel and we're saving our customers like thousands of dollars on like that would have been spent on foreign transaction fee that they can use for more fun things now.
0: Okay. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. This show is sponsored by FIS. FIS. Have you ever felt frustrated in checking out online or making a payment over the phone? The go-kart team at FIS Impact Lab certainly was, and that's why they created a better payment experience. Go-kart recognizes your email and lets you pay quickly anywhere, with no passwords and no long forms. You can pay faster for anything, even things you wouldn't expect like healthcare, professional services, and more. GoCard also goes beyond online checkout and allows you to pay easily by email, text, and even with QR codes. If you sell products or services online or in-store, find out how you can use GoCard to simplify payments and increase your sales at gocardpay.com/podcast. FIS, advancing the way the world pays, banks and invests. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Sid Batra, co-founder of the X1 Card. We've been discussing the strategy behind the introduction of the s one Card and how to differentiate in a crowded marketplace. So, Sid... Young digital native consumers appreciate smart functionality of financial services. For instance, the x one card, if I'm not mistaken, lets cardholders cancel subscription payments in a single click and end free trials automatically. Can you share some of the other digital features of your card that are integrated within the the mobile app?
1: Yeah, let's dive a little bit deeper into virtual cards themselves and how they're so useful as like a platform feature. Uh, There is this sort of, Unmet, another unmet customer expectation around control. So credit cards were designed for more for like offline shopping, right? And there's a lot of control in those transactions. Let's say I go to a movie theater. I will physically hand my card to the cashier. They will swipe and give it back. So I control that transaction. Now what happens in the, in the digital sphere is that I hand over my card digits. And then it's up to the merchant, and now they have the control for the amount, the frequency by which they will charge me. And so this creates a lot of hassle control-wise where, like you were saying, subscriptions are such a pain to cancel. And in this kind of digital era, there's so many subscriptions to manage. And so one of the features we have is one-click subscription cancellation. You press a button, that merchant will never charge you again. Um, and another feature is around free trials. This one is immensely popular. Like, people absolutely love it. So you can generate a virtual card number uh, specifically designed for free trials, where imagine you're starting a free trial on Hulu. You put this card number into your trial, the trial begins, and then the card number is automatically canceled. And so your free trial continues with complete peace of mind. And if you decide you like the service, you can go back and change the card number, but you have the control. So but the control part is really, really important here. I'll give you a couple of more examples that stem from virtual cards, and they're changing um, the behavior of our customers. One is budgeting. So Mint is great for budgeting, but it's reactive. What our customers are doing is for a budgeting use case, they will create a virtual card, add a limit, and so they can really guarantee that they will not spend more than a certain budget. Uh, as a fun anecdote, one of our uh, customers was using this for like um, pet supplies, so they don't overspend on their, uh, on their dogs kind of food. Um, so that's, that's kind of one use case. Another gets into kind of our um, anonymous card offering, which is also based on virtual cards. And I know everybody thinks that this is mainly for like nefarious purposes, but I'll give you two kind of examples that are very um, really interesting. People are using our anonymous cards for charitable donations. And that way you can assure, it can be really, really, you know, be sure that the merchant has no idea who you are, whenever you're making that donation. Another example is political donations. We're seeing our customers make political donations using the card. And that again, like, you know, it ensures you're anonymous, which is particularly useful in this this climate. So just this amount of control that virtual cards offer is changing customer behavior in just a number of ways, all fueled by our um, really smart um, X1 card app.
0: So it's interesting. I I often reference the the movie Field of Dreams, and the the great line is, if you build it, they will come. Well, in in the financial services world, just because you build it doesn't mean people use it. How do you educate your customers as to the immense level of functionality they have, much of which they've never seen before connect with a card?
1: For us, the product is the education. The vision for the credit card app and the experience is at par with like other consumer apps. Like everything that customers use from Amazon to Uber, to even something like social, like Snapchat, that's the level of execution we want on our app. So we're sweating every single detail.
0: With X1, you have no fees. Um, Your interest rates really aren't any higher than the marketplace. Is
1: your acquisition cost low? How do you make money? Acquisition wise, we have spent $0 on advertising. Um, Our entire customer base has been through organic means. Um, People like you have been very kind to have us on, on podcasts um, and like publications have written about us. That's been the source of customer education. And also our customers have been amazing. I mean, just the number of people we're getting from referrals is an insane amount. It's on par with like consumer products. So it's all been word of mouth, organic. We've spent $0 on, on any kind of marketing. So we're very thankful for that $0 cost of acquisition. Now coming to the fundamentals of the business, this is where we're recognizing the merchants also as a customer of the credit card. Because ultimately the merchant is paying the interchange that we then use as revenue and like that is used to fuel the rewards for the customer. The interesting thing about like interchange is that it's capped like two some percent no merchant anywhere wants to pay anything more than that for the convenience of accepting a, a credit card But what's very interesting is uh, merchants will pay if you can drive spend and you can drive customers to them. So since day one, what we've been doing quietly behind the scenes is doing a ton of merchant partnerships. And then we have a lot of very interesting touch points in the app where we expose these partnerships to create a lot more value for customers and a lot more value for merchants.
0: So it's interesting. One of the major value plays is the fact that you have rewards a rewards program, it's not a, a, a broad, you know, points that can be used anywhere, they're very targeted. Is that part of the reward system you've built for merchants and the, the partnership you have from a value transfer basis?
1: Yeah, so our, just our baseline level of points is really high as far as the industry goes, like 2x of everything, 3x if you spend more than 15,000 and 4x for a month, if you invite a friend, it's pretty outrageous. And we charge no annual fee for any of this. Now, going back to the point of our merchant partnerships, we're doing some very clever integrations that are a win-win for the customer and the merchant. And I'll give you an example. In the X1 app, there is a dedicated tab for shopping. And there, customers can get extraordinary multipliers if they shop directly from that app. Uh, An example which is really popular right now is uh, Lululemon. Customers can get 10x on a Lululemon transaction through our app. And safe to assume like the merchant Lululemon is giving us a much higher commission than 2.5%. And so it's creating this amazing win-win for customers, the merchant, and for us. So the way we fuel these like outrageously high reward points is through very clever, long-running merchant partnerships. And then we're exposing through a lot of different methods in the app. So it's interesting
0: because I've worked with a couple of financial institutions, and interviewed a few financial institutions that have built really interesting open banking relationships, a lot of them for the lower um, age categories, where actually the benefits of the open banking relationship are outside the financial services. So there may be games, there may be music, there's tech discounts on tech, there's discounts on purchases that are really targeted in mm-hmm. this marketplace. But the merchants are actually paying to be included in this open banking marketplace. Therefore, the Mm -hmm. product itself is not the driver of revenue as much as the relationships outside. Do you see yourselves eventually becoming more of an open, what I call it, open banking or embedded super app? where you may go beyond simply a credit card app, but also include more and more outside partners that make it so the revenue model is vastly different than what a traditional banking service or credit card model would be.
1: On a long-term horizon, absolutely. For the next few years, there is so much to be done just in the credit card sphere and so much to be done to improve the relationship credit cards have with merchants and, uh, and the customer experience. There's so much to be done there that we're really laser focused on uh, on just building the most amazing credit card out there and fully reimagining it from top to bottom.
0: You know, it, it's amazing what has happened. You know, you had a 350-person waiting list when you finally introduced the card just recently. How many people are still on that
1: waiting list? Look, we are trying our best. What I can tell you is, like, we're growing week over week, every single week. The number of people getting the card and actively spending the card are growing, and we're trying our absolute best. Um, having some very sleepless nights to just get this car to more and more and more and more people.
0: Can you share what conversion rate you have Just. You know, we've we've heard for years, um, all the all the FinTech companies had waiting lists and then the conversion rate and they call them all customers and they're not. Do you have any information, early reads on what number of people are actually applying once they've been included into the app ability to apply and have the invite? And then what kind of activity, you're maybe not what kind of activity, but
1: how many of the customers become active? I think um, as far as the conversion goes, it's what I can tell you is it's enormously healthy where to the point where it's closer to a consumer product waitlist than a fintech uh, waitlist. Wow. And ties back to the experience as well. People feel it's so easy. They finish in less than five minutes. It's it's a surprisingly high number that's, you know, surprising us as well. The, another thing to note is how much customers are bringing other customers through referrals. The, the referral rates are also through the roof, which is again, like makes it a little bit slower to then, Go to people on the waitlist because the existing customers are bringing in so many other customers. So we're we're trying our best. Yeah,
0: that's what I was going to ask about because again, the experience is so different than what we're used to. Um, it's easy to apply for. It's easy to get. It's a great experience when you get it. The credit limits are a surprise. The rewards are a surprise. The benefits are a surprise. So I was just going to ask you. You followed up on my question before I got to you, which was: Jesus, your waitlist getting longer faster than you can keep up with actually sending out invites because I know how many people I've told since I got it and I was I was impressed because I, honestly I see a lot of the products out there and this one it was interesting it impressed me in the front end because I got in the wait list relatively early. It caught my attention. And I don't do that for credit cards at all. And then when I got it, I told more and more people and still tell people and more of my son's age and people my age. But it, but it's interesting. I would imagine that this is a nice cycle you're going through right now where you're fulfilling and ex- meeting and exceeding expectations, which helps that referral engine.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm so happy that the product, you like the product and it kind of works for you. It it meets your very high bar uh, for these FinTech products. So that's amazing to hear. Look, I can also summarize it this way. If we saw these kind of referral numbers when we were building products at Twitter, we would be really impressed even from a consumer product lens. So now you can imagine those numbers in a FinTech lens. It's uh, it's quite something.
0: So finally, We're seeing so many changes in the marketplace. We're seeing acquisitions. We're seeing mergers. We're seeing new product models, new implementation models, new customer models based on actually things that have happened since the pandemic. What do you see happening that that you think will be really transformational in the next two to three years in the financial services space?
1: This space is very interesting where you will likely end up with about less than 10 kind of finance companies or modern fintech companies that will consolidate most of the market, almost as a parallel to the conventional four or five banks that are most of the market. They'll have you like five fintechs will have most of the, uh, the market. It is a huge market. And what's very interesting is the interoperability in the U.S. financial system is really bad, which means moving money is terrible. It's kind of slow. So as a result, what you're seeing is a lot of these super apps, they offer almost identical functionality. It's funny, if you pull up the PayPal Cash app and Venmo app, like right now, they have identical tabs. So it gives you a sense. And if you then look at the roadmap and the way companies like Robinhood and Affirm are hiring, they're gonna have very, very similar functionality. So essentially functionality wise, all these FinTechs will more or less converge over over the next decade. The kind of two main things that will be left are like, which audience are they serving? And what was their starting point? Because that dictates a lot, right? You know, time will tell. Uh, so it's they're all going to kind of converge. And, you know, a uh, few fintechs will kind of own most of the market in a, a decade from now.
0: You know, it's interesting, Sid. Um, what this is a great example of, and this is why I called you as soon as I heard that you go on live, is that it's really a perfect model of a a brand new company from start as opposed to an Apple car that was a partnered model, but a brand new company that was really based on using data in a in a relative unique way that hasn't been done that much in the marketplace, mm-hmm. but could be done by everybody with a customer experience center where the whole thing is built on making it the best possible customer experience. Your, your claims did not disappoint. It was very lofty claims. But at the end, it really showed that this is not something that simply can be done by X1. Any organization, if they really focused on what was most important, they could transform their organization. Now, the difference between can and will is, as we've seen in our research, is light years away. And, and I think what's interesting is that I think from, for our listeners especially, get to the X1 app try it out you know kick the tires see about what they've done because i think more than anything and i'm I'm not being paid by x1 but the reality is the re the reality is that the experience and the way this product has been built is a model for the future Sid, thank you for being on the show today. I'm glad we were able to spend some time. Again, I'm, I'm hoping to use this even more and more. And, and you know, as you alluded to, um, you're not going to be sending out emails telling tell me how it works. I got to be playing it like I'm playing uh, Game of Thrones or one of the other uh, video <laughs> games to be able to figure it out on my own. And because most of the digital natives can do that pretty easily, as I did on Uber and things like that. So thank you very much
1: for being on the show. Jim, thanks so much for having me. And thanks again for actually using the product. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed raise a top five banking podcast. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to follow Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in a form or review. It means the world to us. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the amazing research we're doing for the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Hoffman and video producer, Will Prince. I'm your host, Jim Barus. Until next time, remember, innovation is the unrelenting drive to break the status quo and develop something new where few have dared to go. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.